Hello, welcome everyone to the Brother Cousins podcast. This is episode 40, and we are continuing today with the July 2022 series about the kingdom of God. Today, the topic or title of the episode will be the bondage of liberty. So today we have myself, Christopher, and Jared and Jeffrey here to talk about this issue. So we're really glad to uh, be continuing the study that's been really engaging, at least for us, and we hope that it's been a blessing and engaging to you as well. So to catch up, in the first episode, uh, we talked about the nature of the kingdom of God and how that is going to be an eternal kingdom that is just as real and just as valid as any earthly kingdom, more so because it will not have an end, and the king of that kingdom is our heavenly father, God. In the last episode, we talked about um, our rights and how that the Ancient of Days is enthroned in that kingdom and that he takes precedence over any other rule, authority, or power. We also touched on some touchy topics about Christian nationalism and making sure that our allegiance is to Christ first and foremost and to the gospel. Today, we are going to talk about the bondage of liberty and a few ideas that the brother cousins want to unpack about the way that we view our role as a, a free man or a free woman in the kingdom of God, yet using that gift of freedom in a way that edifies, serves, and loves others. So that is the roadmap that we're going to try to follow today. Now, in the other uh, episodes, we talked about the book of Daniel and how that this idea in Daniel chapter seven and verse 22 says that there would be a time where the saints would possess the kingdom. And I think guys, we would contend that that time is right now. Correct. In the context of Daniel, he unrolls all of that stuff together. Um, the, the four beasts, the end of that fourth beast and the 10 horns, the horn that goes to war with, the saints and, and they're called out specifically there in the, the coming of Christ and receiving his dominion from the ancient of the days who was upon his seat. And in the context of all of that, we're told that the saints would receive the kingdom. Yes. And that kingdom was in stark contrast to the kingdoms of men, which were, based in the earth that were bought by blood and force and the contrast with the kingdom of God, which was bought by the blood of Christ and love. And so this is a different kind of kingdom. And the conclusion I think that we have all reached is that because this is a different kind of kingdom that requires a different kind of allegiance, that if we're going to be good citizens of the kingdom of God, it's going to require us to have a different kind of mindset about our citizenship of that kingdom. And so today, part of what we're going to talk about is this idea of how can we, as followers of Jesus and his kingdom, change our mind, change our attitude, change the way we think about things, and especially the way that we, as 21st century American Christians, think about our our liberty and how we can use that liberty for God. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to really try and follow y'all's lead on this one because there's, 
a wide range of topics that I would love to try and fit under this umbrella with this topic. Um, but really the gist, if we consider what we're told by Peter in first Peter two, nine, you're a chosen race, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are his people. We're a Royal priesthood under Christ. And, you know, I was talking to someone that differed with me politically several years ago, had a really good conversation, which I was really becoming disinterested in worldly politics by that time. But we were able to have a good conversation. And he talked about one thing that was missing in Washington, D.C., and he was talking about one party in particular, but was statesmanship. Mm. And there just really weren't any true statesmen anymore. And I appreciated that comment. Um, I think we can see that across the entire spectrum, especially as we get into political electioneering. But that's a, a question we should consider for ourselves. What does statesmanship look like in the kingdom of God? What is expected of us as priests offering acceptable sacrifice to our God in his kingdom? And so that kind of sets us up, I think, for where we want to go, why we want to consider these things, and how we got to the thought process we're going to roll with tonight. There's an admonition, and we talked last time about Colossians chapter 3, but in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, the scripture says, and, having, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And that tells us that as part of this new kingdom, we have to have the new man, you know, we're very much aware of, you know, in Christ, all things are made new. It's for us individually, it's new, but the kingdom of God is a new kingdom as well. And the only way that we're going to be successful there is to be renewed in our knowledge. And that knowledge should be a reflection of the image of the creator, uh, that creator of the new man, the creator and the founder of that kingdom, which means that we've got to have a renewed mind. Why do you guys think it's so important to have a renewed mind to serve in the kingdom. I think it's important because becoming more like Jesus is so different than what our natural tendencies lead us towards. That's why we see over and over again in the scripture, specifically in the new Testament, these ideas being put forth that we are to imitate Christ, that we are to be in his image and you often see that associated with this language of you put off the old man and the natural tendencies. And you see language like flesh versus spirit or earthly versus seeking things that are above. And in Colossians 3 in particular, I mean, it starts out verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Being like Christ is different, and it takes work, and it takes effort, and it takes diligence, and it takes the transforming of our minds through the renewing of our minds and the transportation transformation of the spirit. Yes. Being a follower of Jesus in a worldly perspective seems counterintuitive. It seems like, well, how in the world are you going to survive or get by or 
much less excel if you're going to live life according to those rules. So yeah, it does require something different. I think a good example of that is what we talked about last episode in the distinction of power. What is greatness in the world versus what is greatness in the kingdom? Greatness in the world is putting everyone underfoot and trying to raise yourself up above everyone else. Whereas greatness in the kingdom is putting everyone else above yourself and being the servant to all. Instead of putting everyone under your foot, you put them on your shoulder. Exactly. It's, you know, in the world, we see survival of the fittest, rule of the cruelest. Um, It's often not the strongest because anyone that has any scruples at all will be trumped by someone that has none or has fewer. You know, answer your first question, Christopher, and I'm going to throw you guys a curveball. And, and, you know, this is just spitballing here. Some ideas that I've had recently as we look at what God's done through Christ. And, and I submit this to our listeners as well, just as a way to, to consider things. And as you further stretch your study and, and strengthen your faith, God is renewing his creation for, its, for his original intent. Mm-hmm. When he created man in Genesis 1, he looked at man and said, it is good. Yeah. And we weren't corrupted then. What he has done is renewed man through the image of the archetypal man. Jesus was the archetype of everything that God intended it to mean to be human. Mm-hmm. He exemplified that and bore that for us. You know, we're told in Acts 17 that God made, King James says, from one blood, all nations of men to dwell upon the earth. Now God has renewed his creation through the blood of his son and made of one blood, his son's blood, a new generation, a new nation of people to fill the whole earth. And, and it is, you know, we look at the cycles of mankind and, and we look at things in the Old Testament. The Amalekites are an example where God told them to go wipe everyone out. And it's hard for us to comprehend the justice in that. But when we really consider how hard it is for children that are exposed to out and out evil way too early in their life, how much corruption that puts upon them. And, and there's a warning in that for us as Christians, apart from what we're talking about here. Um, be careful what you let your kids be exposed to too early. But yeah. um, we see that cycle in mankind and, and we devolve and we devolve and we devolve to where we are just, well, we're Genesis six, right? We fail to retain God in our knowledge. We have lost the inner sense, you know, that definition of conscience that we talked about with one of our other brother-in-laws that, that knowledge where we just know something's not right. And, you know, instead of evolution, we see de-evolution where we're getting worse generationally and Christ reset the clock on that. And every generation that comes to him resets the clock on those things. You know, I never (laughs) thought about that aspect of it before, but you know, it's, we've probably all growing up heard sermons that, that compare, uh, the church with the ark and the flood with the baptism, but I've never really considered how that the, one of the reasons that God chose Noah was that he was perfect in his generations and he started over humankind yep. with a new blood, a new family that would, you know, and of course Noah and, and, and his kin got, you know, went, went South pretty quickly after that. Right. And not that any of us are perfect. We strive for perfection in Christ. And I love the way it, it puts it in the ESV, which is being renewed. It is happening right now. 
we're striving in that process of learning to be everything, not, you know, we, this is what it means to be human. We hear, I hate movie lines anymore, the, the cliche movie lines, but what God means for it to be human, what mm-hmm. he meant when he looked at his creation and said, it's good. And as we're striving in that process, we're remade in his image. We're holy priests and royal priests in his kingdom. What does it mean that we're being renewed and how is it different? And, and Jeffrey then hits on that with what does it mean to be like Jesus? Because we're self-serving creatures. So to kind of summarize that idea, Jesus came not to, only to give us a new moral code or not to just forgive us of our sins so we wouldn't go to hell. But what Jesus did was he demonstrated and then enabled us to live and be a different kind of human in a different kind of kingdom. Yep. I, love I it. think so. And again, I, you know, it's just something for everybody to chew on. Um, I'm willing to and open to discussion on that, but that's, that's my thoughts as we move through this topic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's a concept that's explored in the Bible project in their series on heavenly beings. They talk about in the, in the final uh, episode of that little narrative that Jesus really came to show us a different way of being human. And uh, it's really beautiful. I love the imagery that it provides. So we know, you know, we talked about why it's important. And so if we're going to be different, the question then that comes to mind is, well, what does that look like? How would we, how would we choose? Like what choices would we make? What thoughts would we have? What principles would we hold if we wanted to be a new person according to the, the, the image of Christ? I think that part of having a renewed mind and, or this transformation process involves a major paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Um, you see several paradigms within the scriptures, especially revolving around Christ and his kingdom. Um, and sometimes the, the, the paradigms are paradoxical. Now that that's a lot of really big words really quickly, but you know, you think about the, the idea of meekness and surrender in general, whenever you think of it from a worldly sense, most people think of meekness as being a doormat and surrendering being as a situation where you're never going to be victorious because you were surrendering to something else. But what Jesus showed us is through meekness and surrender to God, not only he, but all of us can also be victorious. So it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and, and that's the paradoxical aspect of that. But you've got to shift your thought process and have a paradigm shift to really be able to understand that and appreciate that. And I think we see that in several aspects. I was just going to pull a token token line, and you know, it's it's Gladrill's narration: seven rings, nine rings to men. Sorry, who above all else desire power. And and I think the rings show us that. All creatures in this earth that are self-aware desire power. Jesus says, I am power. God is power. You surrender to me and you'll know power. And, and you know power by overcoming this desire that's in the world to build yourself up. Power is that ability to lay down and to stand down. As we consider paradigm shifts, Jeffrey, I, I love that you brought that up. I think that transitions us really well. And in the beginning, Man was perfect. We don't see sacrifice until after the fall and Cain and Abel come. And we see sacrifice and worship to God happen there. 
we see as we move forward in time, go from the oral tradition to the written tradition with the, the law of Moses, where now they have priests that offer these sacrifices. And as we consider a paradigm shift and consider that now we're priests after our priest, after the order of Melchizedek, what is the sacrifice? If we're priests, then we're offering sacrifice. So what is our sacrifice today? Well, now we're to Romans 12. You know, we have this thought process. We're being renewed. And Paul marries these ideas in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we're working this transition, we're being renewed in the image of Christ. We're made priests and kings in his kingdom. We are that sacrifice. And so we want to dig into that thought process. What does it mean to be a sacrifice to God? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice to God? As we look at the Old Testament, and, and I won't dig up the passages, but we can agree that God only accepted the best. And, and you can pull those passages. Number 12, Numbers 12 gives a really good explanation of what God would accept as sacrifice. And so if you want to look that up, you can go there. But it had to be right for God. It was the best it was going to cost you, and it want, God wanted it of your own free will. That's not different for us today. We're not right. offering livestock. We're not literally dying for Christ. He wants us to live for him. And so verses 1 and 2 tell us to be different, to be a living sacrifice, to be transformed and renew our minds. Verses 3 through 21 tell us how to do that. Mm. And it's not an exhaustive list, but... Paul lays it out for us, not to think more highly. And so we're already different than the world. You don't think better of yourself than what you ought to think. Think sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So you bring yourself down, you humble yourself and understand that process of you are God's and God is working within you according mm -hmm. to your measure of faith. <clears throat> and then he ties us all together in him. But then he moves on and I love nine to 21 let love be genuine, hate that or abhor that which is evil, hold fast to that which is good, love one another with brotherly affection. And so all of these things, as we see and we look through these lists, we're being called to make our life a sacrifice. And that sacrifice, the way we sacrifice to God is by sacrificing to our fellow man. Well, that makes perfect sense, Jared. You know, if we think about if we're going to follow our king, well, we follow the example of our king. He laid down himself, not just in the death on the cross, but his entire life was a constant act of worship and sacrifice because he could have been anything. He could have done anything. And yet every day that he woke up, he lived in poverty, homeless, depending on the gen generosity of others. You know, he, he sacrificed himself every day. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then I have to sacrifice myself every day, just like he did, if necessary, laying down my very life like he did. And I'd never made that connection until studying this with you guys just now. It's what I love about talking about the scripture with other people is you just have these ideas that never occurred to you if you hadn't listened to someone else talk about it. 
Yeah. And just to add an additional layer to this conversation, you know, I'm not used to reading this in the English Standard Version. I grew up with the King James Version, um, more familiar with the New King James Version. Um, it says that being that living sacrifice is your reasonable service. And I like the description there because it is our reasonable service, because by the mercies of God and by the example of Jesus, we are to lay our lives down for him and for others. But this idea of spiritual worship, this being mm -hmm. our spiritual worship, actually reminded me of a quote that I read the other day that reminded me of just kind of the overall thrust and theme of this series, where it was talking about worship being a process that takes the attention off of ourselves and puts it where it belongs. And the quote said, worship is a reminder that there is a throne and that you aren't sitting on it. Yeah. it. That's a really, I really like that. Yeah. I like that reminder, you know, um, this idea of the spiritual worship, you know, as it's rendered in ESV is kind of a, a link to first Peter two, five, where Peter says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, which we already touched on that to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I love that imagery there. Like we are all these living stones that are put together according to the wisdom of God and that we can go and be part of that and offer those sacrifices through our high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's just a, a great image. Uh, I just love that. So new kingdom, new paradigm, new mindset, new worship, new sacrifice, that of ourselves. Uh, we are the sacrifice. And so that idea, the, the challenging part about that idea, guys, is that as 21st century Americans, we are not culturally acclimated to be selfless. I mean, the very tenets of what many would call American exceptionalism or capitalism or any other thing that seeks to benefit oneself. I mean, we're told from the time we grow up, if you work hard, you can be anything you want. If you'll put your mind to it, if you can make the sacrifices to succeed and, and do everything for yourself, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Get yours. That's what we're told the American dream is. But this idea of being a constant living sacrifice kind of sets us at odds with the way that our own earthly kingdom tells us to behave. Yeah. And it's, it's just so different. Um, you know, and I could read through the rest of Romans 12 to, to set the stage for where we want to go next, but sure. I'm going to try and hit the highlights, not slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, rejoice in hope, patient, patient tribulation, contribute to the needs, show hospitality, I'm going to bump on down, never avenge yourself. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we work these ideas forward, this is where we came up with the idea for the title of this one is the bondage of liberty. We're set free in Christ Jesus. And then really, we've probably done a disservice to the initial thought process of, of what it means to be set free and being set free. Um, but I think by and large, a lot of our listeners are going to understand what it means that Jesus set us free from sin. What we don't often get, and, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll raise my hand, what I have often failed to get 
is what that means for me. As I've been set free, as I've been transformed, as I'm made a royal priest, I have an obligation under Christ to be a bondservant to everyone else. And that means even when I am growing and becoming stronger in the faith, learning to lean on God more, hopefully learning more of that mindset as I'm in his word, kind of following the Psalm 119 pattern of, of really falling in love with his word. I can't fall in love with his word and fall out of love with my brother. I have to consider more so his needs. We carry these ideas forward into Romans 14. Verse one, he says, as for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. And so as we consider these this liberty and, and this freeness in Christ, it binds us to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we consider them and consider their conscience and consider what does my brother or sister need in Christ to grow and, and so that we may build each other in unity. Yeah. That's a great purpose for that, for that freedom. And before we move away and Jeffrey, I know that you've got something you want to add in, but before we move away, this idea of why are we free in Christ and what are we free from? I think another sense in which we're free in Christ is we are free of the need and obligation to live according to the nature of the world. God gives us the authority when he gives us the command to say, you don't have to live like everybody else and you'll be blessed if you don't. And so if we then walk in that freedom of, I don't have to define my success by what I can earn or who I can subdue or trying to be the best at everything that I can find my identity in the fact that God loves me and send his son to die for me, then there's a freedom there to say, okay, now that I don't have to worry about all that other stuff that doesn't matter. Now I'm empowered to focus on the things that do. And that's all the things about loving our brother and loving God in, in the ways that he's commanded. Jeffrey. Well, that was actually one of the layers that I wanted to bring up is as we look through the New Testament, we look specifically about some of the freedom that Jesus offers us. Yes, of course, he offers us freedom from sin and the wrath of God that will be proclaimed and pronounced and doled out on those who have sinned um, and who don't and who do not know Christ. But we also see in like the book of Galatians, for instance, that he has freed us from the yoke of bondage or um, the, the old law. But then we also see this other aspect here, Christopher, that you mentioned, which is a completely different type of freedom. And bringing this back into Romans chapter 14, whenever you take a step back and you start thinking about Romans 12, Romans 13, and Romans 14 all together, Romans 12 you lay your life down, you make yourself a living sacrifice. And to both of your points, you're sacrificing yourself to God and to others. You're seeing yourself as third in line here. And so then Romans 13, you need to be subject to different types of authorities. 
And so you're starting to ask the question, is this really freedom? And then you get to Romans chapter 14, and it starts to talk about these opinions, like it said in verse one, Jared, and this discussion of making changes in your life to accommodate other people based on different opinions. And you ask the question yet again, is this really freedom? And I think that it obviously is, but that's where that paradigm shift and the paradox of liberty really starts to come into play here. And I know Jared has some thoughts on Roman chapter 14 in particular that he introduced to me a few months ago, and it's really reshaped my thought process about liberties and handling liberties. And so I'm going to turn that back over to Jared and let him kind of explain some of his thought process, because I think it falls in line with what Christopher said as well. Hey, Jared, before you jump in, and I I am interested to hear about that, but you know, Jeffrey, that flies staunchly in the face of what we are conditioned as Americans to think about even American Christians. Like sometimes, especially American Christians, as we hear our brethren talk about our God given liberties, right? This idea really, it, it grates against our sensibilities. And so, yeah, it is hard to think about because we think liberty is, well, I'm going to do what I want. And that if I have a liberty that you have to honor my liberty, Right. So because I because I can do what I want and I want to do what I want. So that that's a hard saying. And I am I will confess I am not where I need to be in that regard. Uh, I will echo that confession and, and tell you the reason Jeffrey and I've had these conversations is is out of confession and in admittance of struggle and need for help. As I stepped back and, and it's no secret, I've deleted Facebook and got out of that world. Um, I've kept Twitter for the gin stuff and I've considered deleting it too. Um, you know, the first amendment, there's, there's a, a part of that that is non-negotiable in my opinion, the right of assembly. Um, I'm, I'm going to every opportunity I get assemble with the saints, no matter what the state says, but there's a part of that that we've tied with that, which is the freedom of speech. And I took that as next to gospel. I say what I want and the government can't do anything about it as long as it's not causing immediate harm or immediate threat. Um, And what we see in a world in our world today is people exercising that Liberty to their own hurt. And, you know, GK Chesterton has a quote that says having the right to do something is not at all the same as being right in doing it. And so as I considered these liberties and and really went to examine Romans 14, I backed up and and, and really I kind of started the first book and and ran all the way through and to keep from having to use up time, giving the whole synopsis, I'm going to run straight to chapter eight because there's a, a, it's the crux of the book and and six, seven, and eight, he changes our focus and changes how we see the world. In my opinion, we're dead to the flesh in chapter six, we're buried we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That old man of sin is gone. Um, 617 being, being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. He goes on to explain about that in chapter seven and eight. In chapter eight, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, sorry, in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh 
and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And there's so much more in chapter eight to unpack, but this gets what I want to get. The Jews law was rigid. It was very strict, had to be adhered to in a certain way. And not that it was not a good law. In fact, Romans says, or I'm sorry, Galatians says, if there was a law that could have given life, it was that law. God's law was perfect. What Romans 8 is telling us is that we were weak. So God looked at our weakness. He sent his son in our, in our weakness, after our weakness, and he conquered sin in that flesh. Because of this, we have a lot of liberty, and we don't have the strictness that the law had. We don't have the, you have to eat these things, you can't eat these things, you have to keep these feast days, you don't keep these. And, and all of that is thrown out the window. I'm sorry, not all of that. It's, it's different for us. We adhere strictly to the law of Christ and the liberty that he has. But what we have to ask ourselves is we want to argue about these opinion things is in verse four of chapter 14. Go ahead, Christopher. So, Jared, my question on that, because I haven't really thought about this way before, but you're saying that be, the, the law was condemning and restrictive because we are too weak to keep it. And that one of the reasons that God brought in the law of Christ was to free us up from the restriction and the condemnation of the law so we could serve God in love and freedom instead of fear of death. Is that what you're saying? In part, yes. I don't know how to try and explain it without derailing what we're talking about <laughs> okay. uh, quickly. We can do it in another episode, but I, it's a really intriguing thought. We're still serving a law, though. And, and the way I have likened this, and it's probably not a great analogy, but the law of the morality of God, God's moral law, is as immovable for us as the law of gravity. Right. So with Christ, we're not defying that moral law, just like we don't defy gravity when we're flying in an airplane or sending a rocket ship into outer space. There is another law acting upon that that is sending in a different direction. Gravity pulls things to the center of the greater mass. The law of Christ pulls, pushes us up or pulls us up beyond that law of sin and death. And, and so try, try not to derail what we've got going on here. I like the rocket ship analogy. That makes sense. There's two, there, there is a sense of, you know, the, the gravity's pulling on the rocket, trying to pull it down at the same time that the fuel is propelling it forward. I, that's really succinct. I like that. I get it. And, and this is stuff that I have pondered over for years now. It's amazing how quick time goes. But as we consider this, as we consider being made free from that law and free in the law of Christ, because that's where we have freedom is in the law of Christ. What we find is that we're bound to one another's liberty in our own liberty. And now we're to Romans 14, 4. Who art thou? I'm going to get out of King James here. Oh, that's interesting. So ESV makes a statement. Nope, that's the RE. All right, now I'm in ESV. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And we'll pause and unpack that one just a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, good question. Who, who am, who are you? Or if I turn it around to make it personal, if I'm reading this, who am I? to judge another man's servant. 
And they, that's one of the failings. Yeah. That's one of the failings I've had is I turned this verse as if I was the one asking the question, who are you to judge my liberty? Who are you to judge me? I'm the servant of God. And I've not had a proper perspective on this. This is the spirit via Paul writing to Christians in Rome, asking them who they were to judge another man's servant. And so as I'm reading this, as if I was a recipient of the letter, he's asking me who I am to judge another man's servant. You know, that that, scene reminds me of God talking to Job that we covered several episodes back. Who are you? Where were you whenever I did all these things? And now God is asking the Romans, who are you to judge another man's servant? And when we get a proper perspective of, of whom, well, who is asking the question and of whom, now we feel a little more like Job. Now I want to go. And you can't see it, but I put my hand over my mouth. Yeah. And, you know, whenever you dig through Romans chapter 14, obviously Paul is talking about the liberties that we have in Christ. And he sets it in contrast to some of the bondage that we had with the law, right? He talks about different feast days and eating of certain types of meats. And the way that he unpacks that is, you know, that there is going to be some meat that has been offered to idols. And that's going to be offensive to some people. It's going to offend their conscience. And if that's the case, then they don't need to do that. But then there are other people who that's not going to offend them. And then they should have the liberty to be able to do that. And the way that we look at this is step off my liberty. If I'm the one eating the meat that's been offered to idols, that's my liberty. And just because you don't understand it as well as I do, which makes you the weaker brother, you need to take, you need to step off of me and you need to step off of my liberties and I'm going to eat this meat or I'm going to celebrate this feast day. But what you're saying, Jared, is a paradigm shift. And that is rather than looking at it as you need to step off of my liberty, turning the question back on us and saying, what can I do and how can I use my liberties in a way that will bring glory to our king and serve my brother. We're so highly individualized. Well, traditionally, especially those of a more libertarian and conservative mindset, we're so highly individualistic. What Romans 14 tells us after he asked this question and talks about our observances, he says, none, for none of us lives to himself and none dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And if we're going to be the Lord's, then we need to do what Jesus did. And, and I know it probably feels like we harp on this and maybe especially I harp on this in this podcast, but what does it mean to be his? The example of Jesus is bearing the burdens of those that couldn't. And he did that for all of us in bearing the burden of sin that I could not on my own. And if it's for me, abstaining from meat because I've got a brother that just is not going to, that is going to offend his conscience, then I need to do that. And what we need to get to, and this is an appreciation I've come to from Romans 14, is, and I'm, I'm pulling some, some other passages in this thought process, but help each other grow towards the unity, 
to get past this process where we're trying to judge each other. That's the crux of Romans 14. We are judging one another. And not that we can't have conversations about what's best, because in, in even in areas of judgment, there's good, better, best, and, and worst. Yeah. Sometimes. And sometimes it's when something is done or not done. And I mean, there, there's just a myriad of things that it can be, but we've got to be able to have those conversations. And if we can have those conversations from the spirit of my brother is doing this for the Lord, it's about God. And he considers God before he eats or abstains. He considers this before he celebrates or doesn't. And as part of a body of Christ, trying to reach an entire world of people that think differently, he's going to be able to reach people in that message of the gospel. Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, you know, Jared, the, to the question Paul asks in Romans 14, in verse 10, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? Why? Well, I think it's because we love ourselves more than we love the brethren. And in verse 15 of that same chapter, he says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And it, I'm ashamed at how many times I have been totally willing to destroy that for which Christ died so I could hang on to my precious liberty. And, and, and it's not about eating stuff, but it's, there are many areas of judgment, many areas of choices that we make you know, due to our understanding, whenever we start to think we're really mature and other people aren't. And we just really need to be careful as, especially when we're dealing with babes in Christ, that we do everything we can to make their, their faith solid and not shaky. Well, I think to your point, Christopher, the way that I know I've looked at this in the past, prior to Jared introducing this new thought process to me, is I looked at Romans chapter 14 through the eyes of the old man who was selfish, who was greedy, mm -hmm. who wanted to enjoy my liberties and use it as a provision. I'm going to speak very frankly, use it as provision for the flesh. Yeah. Rather than looking at it through the eyes of a transformed new creation who is gospel centered. Yeah. And whenever you're gospel centered and you do things the way that Christ did, you walk in love and you use your liberty to bring glory to God and to serve others. Yeah. And I think kind of pivoting from the conceptual to the practical here, Paul gives us some other, I guess, example and direction in first Corinthians nine and verse 19. And this is one of the passages that really came to mind for me, whenever we first started thinking about this topic, he says, first uh, Corinthians nine, 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jew. I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became one under the, as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. It's this gospel-centered life that, that you guys are referencing. And Paul was enjoyed a lot of liberty as a Roman citizen. Sometimes he exercised that liberty to the glory of God, and sometimes he for, for, forwent that liberty for the purposes of God as a Roman citizen. And in his own life, he made a lot of sacrifices, but the reason that he did all of it was for the gospel. And he wasn't concerned about people thinking that he was weak. He wasn't concerned about people thinking that he was agreeing with their position. And he didn't want to reinforce the weaker brother's erroneous position. He just said, you know, what? I'm going to be like whomever I'm working with so that by any means I can reach him with the gospel. And that, you know, makes me feel ashamed, you know, the way that I've been in the past and probably some am now. I just don't realize it. So there's an idea here, and I want to say that none of the stuff we have done, and, and I, I would think this for our brothers and sisters in Christ that have used liberty and the idea of liberty this way, was with malicious intent. It was right. more out of ignorance, of not That's, understanding yep. and not really grasping what this liberty meant. That's what I was going to say is, like I said, this is a newer thought process for me. And it was out of ignorance. Yes, sir. Um, and I know that there are others that are like me. Yep. Yeah. And I can't point to any one specific thing. I mean, for me that I've done that might have destabilized the faith of someone else. It's mostly an attitude mm -hmm. um, or, or a pride that, or, you know, that has been the barrier there. You know, I, I hope to God that I haven't exercised the Liberty in a way that has destroyed what, that for which Christ has sacrificed his life. But I think we definitely need to be reminded and change our mind. Well, I think it's, I think that this mentality, you know, we used a, an illustration several epic episodes ago. Um, it was uncle Terry's one of his sermon illustrations of a little, little boy wanting to hold on to the, to his rocks. And, you know, that last rock is the hardest one to give up. You can get rid of, all sorts of rocks out of your pockets, but it's that last rock that that's mine. That's me. And I don't want to give it up. And so as Christians, where we have given up different aspects of our old creation of our old self, there may be some of these issues that we say, that's my last rock. And I want to hold on to that. That's because that's my Liberty and I'm not going to let go of it. But that's again, the old man. And I believe that uh, Galatians five, even though it's talking about the difference between um, your liberty in Christ and being bound to the law. So by faith and by law, but he says in verse one, that freedom for freedom, Christ is set. That's a weird translation. I'm going to pull a Jared and I'm going to pull up Galatians five in a different for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then as you jump down to verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... 
watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, I know in the past, I've wanted to hold on to that last rock of liberty because it was an opportunity for my flesh rather than being able to, to throw that rock down in submission to my king and in submission to my brothers and sisters, because that's what I wanted. And so what I ended up doing is when that was challenged, I would bite and devour people. I'd push them away and I would, for the sake of a rock, destroy the work of God. So I think we would bite and try to stop just short of devouring. You know, it's really, and we put these weird limitations all over this passage. And I say we, I, I will say I have put these weird limitations all over this passage. Because if I wasn't doing something salacious, then I wasn't using my liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And, and I put this weird limitation that God didn't, where as long as it's not salacious, then it's, then it's not prohibited by this passage. And as I began this thought process of rethinking all of these things and, and backing up and trying to honor God with my liberty, I then had to ask the question, is it for any purpose as an opportunity in my flesh in a way that is not serving my brother? In Romans 14, he says it is you're not walking in love. You're no longer walking in love. Here in Galatians 5, he says, don't do this, but through love, serve one another. And he ties and marries these thoughts together. You use your liberty through love to serve. So here's a question. How can we practically today use our liberty to show love to someone else? So many ways. And and I will go to vaccination. Um, It's a controversial subject. It is a controversial subject with me personally. But I have an example, and it's a really good example of someone exercising liberty through love. We had a brother that was going or that wanted to go on a trip to a foreign nation. It's a trip that they have made regularly and had not been able to because of COVID restrictions and travel restrictions and so forth. In order to make this trip, even though this person did not want to get the shot for their own personal reasons, they chose to do it to get that out of the way. And they exercised the liberty through love so they could go serve the purpose of the gospel. And they put themselves out. They did something they didn't want to do. They received some heat for it. Um, and, and I kind of did too, because when the person called, I said, I think it's what you need to do. This is, if that's what's going to get you there, then it's what you need to do. And I get, you know, again, it's a controversial subject with me. Um, but I encourage this person to exercise that liberty because it was absolutely out of love. They set their own desires aside. They didn't take the opportunity for the flesh. The opportunity for their flesh was to say, I have the choice not to do this. I'm not going to do it. Sorry, I can't come. And they showed me an example that I needed to see to go do that. That's a good no, one. It is. And that's a very applicable 2022 example and i know that through private discussions the three of us again like many things don't even agree 
completely on the benefits, risks, whatever you want to talk about with the vaccinations um, or the some of the political aspects of it. But one thing that I think all three of us would agree on is being able to give up our liberty for the work of the kingdom. You know, whenever I heard all of these different conversations going on about should we or should we not get the vaccinations, it was a very rare conversation that I heard something along those lines, Jared. I did hear it some, but it was often, that's my liberty, step off. Not, I have a liberty, but I'm going to lay it down at my brother's feet and walk in love. So You would probably be... Due to the private conversations we have, we didn't talk about that aspect of it at all. You would are probably surprised that I encourage that person to do that. I am. I have not said that publicly. I am, but I'm not, Jared. And that's what I mean is I'm surprised because of the private conversations that we've had revolving around vaccinations. But I'm not because of the private vaccine where the private conversations we've had revolving around walking in love and our right. liberties. Right. And, and, you know, the, there's a difference in conversation if you're talking about the health benefits of eating or abstaining. Um, and, and that is not at all what we're talking about here. If you want to choose to be vegan, vegetarian, or follow the lion diet for your health, and you think it's a good idea, and, and you've had made the proper research and medical consultations, by all means, do that. We're talking about like this, where you've made a decision for yourself and now you need to set it aside to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And so we're back to that thought process of what it means to be in his kingdom, what it means to have this Liberty. You have this Liberty to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You know, there's another example here recently over the 4th of July, one of our members at Stillwater uh, the, one of the families opened their home and had everybody over and that, that this person always invites some friends and neighbors. And some of these friends and neighbors are students at the college here. And some of them, because they come from different countries and different religious and cultural backgrounds have dietary restrictions. And so we had a whole bunch of hot dogs cooked, but I noticed that on the table, there was a big pan of hot dogs that was clearly labeled no pork. And so, you know, that was done, you know, someone could have easily said, you know, it really is okay for you to eat this stuff because God says it's fine. Instead, they said, you know what, I want to do everything that I can to make sure these people know that we care about them, that they're welcome and make them comfortable. So there was an offering there that they knew they could eat in totally good conscience. Or worse, and an idea that I would have been behind or at least thought was amusing this is America. We eat pork hot dogs and we're going to eat them because it's 4th of July. And God said that meat's good. <laughs> and I'm ashamed of myself. And I brought this up recently to a brother of mine, as we consider some of these things where we're trying to change how we think, how we have used humor to numb us to how bad the world is. And how great our responsibility is within it, because it's easy to laugh it off and walk away and yeah. say, I have no responsibility to provide meat for them. That's not the attitude Paul shows us in first Corinthians to the week. I became weak. I'm going to get this out of the way. And 
you know, yes, for an example, and I think he shows us that example in Acts 16. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions they had re- that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Circumcision was no longer part of having a covenant relationship with God. Timothy wasn't circumcised because apparently his father was not adhering to Jewish customs. Paul wanted to take him to these places, Lystra and Iconium, and he knew about the Jews in those places. This is the man that said, if you're circumcised, you're a debtor to the whole law. But he took Timothy and had him circumcised. That's liberty. He didn't make him a debtor to the law. He used his freedom in Christ from the law to exercise this and take that out of the way. To remove this potential problem, become all things to all people so that he might save those who would listen. He stopped a fight before it ever started. To what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, to those out to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. He knew that he wasn't, but he became as to make sure that they would be acceptable, that he would give him a, a way to speak to them. And kudos to Brother Timothy for taking one for the team. Yeah, that was no small ask. No, it was not. Um, you know, we we read us some stories in the Old Testament that brings to remembrance just how horrible of a process it would be to be circumcised as a grown man. Um, yeah, we actually I'm talked not, about I'm, that in our service tonight with yeah. Dinah. I'm not going to go into that, yeah. but there's just some references there that, that make paints a pretty clear picture. Yep. But you know, really that acts act 16 is the biblical example. The vaccination example that you brought up, was a, a good 2022 example. I'm going to revisit your weird American voice about hot dogs. And it was <laughs> kind pork. of, that's, I'm, I'm embarrassed for you for that, that, that voice, but you, you said something there that I think is extremely crucial for us to understand. That is that we use humor to deaden things. And it brought to mind second Peter chapter two, verse 18 for speaking loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who were barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that. He is enslaved. What you said in that really weird hillbonic voice is that verse speaking loud boasts of folly and tricking people into this fake liberty that we have in a United States kingdom. And we're laying down the true liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's because we can't get over our flesh. Yep. And, and that idea, it's just so spot on for, for me three years ago. And as I, I'm still working to get out of that thought process, but they promise freedom. We have the statue of Liberty 
out on our coast that is the promise of freedom. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights promise freedom. They're only as good as the elected officials in Washington, D.C. Wonderfully written documents, amazing wisdom, showing the power of God or showing knowledge of God, but denying his power. They promise freedom, but they're slaves of corruption. And, and I'm going to bring that into every nation that has existed and ever will exist. Every power that has existed or ever will exist will fall. This nation is no different. And when I say this nation, I mean America. God's kingdom is a freeing kingdom. It is a liberated kingdom because it transcends earth. It is a kingdom whose seat is in heaven. The capital is the throne of Jesus Christ himself, where he took his own sacrifice before God. So whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Are we overcome of things that are corrupted of this world and its kingdoms and the liberty that it promises? Or are we overcome of the goodness and the love and the faithfulness and the joy that is in God? Because that can overcome you too. Yeah. I mean, when we are so obsessed with hanging on to our freedom and insisting that any, any infringement on that freedom has to be immediately corrected and that we have to be recompensed for that. You know, if you're a person who is on the political right, you may be thinking, you know, hey, we need to make sure that my rights aren't infringed and that, you know, liberty is, is you know, maintained. If you identify more with the political left, you may think about things such as, you know, we need to make sure that social justice is a focus and we've got to bring, you know, justice has to be elevated. And, and I'm a fan of justice and liberty. But whenever we get myopia, and we focus on those things, we can become so loud and vociferous and bitter about injustices that have happened and making sure that those get righted, that we're violating scripture. And we can get so hateful and embattled and yelling at people about infringing our rights that we're in violation of scripture. So either on either extreme of the political spectrum in this country, you'll find yourself clearly outside the bounds of the kingdom. And that's, I think, what the challenge is, is because our this world and our country does not incentivize centrism. It does not incentivize unity. It doesn't incentivize living peacefully. It actually yep. stands to, to gain and be promoted by division and polarization. And as members of the kingdom of God, we have to stand in opposition to that and demonstrate like Christ did a different way to be a human on this earth while we submit to the kingship of Christ and enjoy a spectrum of liberty that many people will never understand and know in their life. Yep. And there's two passages that I, I kind of want to put together and then y'all can break them apart and talk about them a little more if you want. Luke 12, 47 and 48 and first Corinthians seven, 21 and 22 Luke 12 says, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know 
and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand much more. So keep that thought in mind. Let's pick up first Corinthians seven. Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity for he who has been called in the Lord as a bond servant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bond servant of Christ. We have another example of liberty here where God is understanding in a way that we can't be because we, we want to throw blankets across everything. This is what God wants us to do. This is what you got to do. I don't care if you're a servant, you put yourself in these positions. What we're shown here is that God understood there were going to be people that came to him that were bond servants and they needed yeah. in subjection to God to be subject to their masters. But there's a thought process here that hit me like a ton of bricks a while back. He who is free is the bond servant of Christ. There is a greater expectation for those of us that have liberty in this world to act as we see fit, to act in accordance with the love of God. And I had not been asked to look at that verse that way, which is shameful. I actually had all of 1 Corinthians 7 a while back in a group study, and it didn't hit me then, which I wasn't looking for it then. But when I went looking, God opened my eyes or allowed me to see the responsibility that is put on me because I am the servant that knew the master's will or had the opportunity to know the master's will and didn't act accordingly, haven't acted accordingly. That's a, that point is huge, Jared. I never really thought about it either, but I guess it's the same as any grace that God gives us, whether it's the grace of wealth that God gives the more of it we have, the greater responsibility we had to be, to be a wise steward of it. The scripture talks about if we have talents and abilities, we're under obligation to use them. And, you know, we don't often think about the freedom that we have in our station, wherever we are, as being a grace of God to be used in his service. But that's exactly what this passage is teaching, just as much as money or teaching ability or the ability to serve. Our freedom is a grace of God, and he demands that we use it to him to become his bond, his bond servant. And, and we know that he is love, and so we are the bond servant of love. We're under that bondage of love. And as we consider these ideas, we're going to wrap this evening and, and leave some meat on the bone, because what we want to talk about next is in this bondage of love, being the Lord's free man and trying to really grapple with what it means to have this liberty is navigating that liberty with a Christ-centered compass. So as always, guys, we appreciate you listening, staying with us, and, and we appreciate that some of these thoughts may be things you haven't thought of before. We are none of us reporting that we have the gateway to truth. We're, we're students of the word. We're learning in our thought process as well, trying to grow and walk with Jesus. If you have comments about these things, reach out to us. If this episode has been a blessing to you, we ask that you would consider giving us a, a like or a rating, sharing it with someone you know. And again, we, we really appreciate everyone listening and love all you guys. And as we wrap this evening, we're going to ask Christopher to close us out with a prayer.
All right. Thank you, Jared. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, humbly accepting the grace that you give us through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for offering your son as a living sacrifice to show us an example of a new way to be a human. Father, we thank you that with his sacrificial death, you have purchased us freedom from sin and death and the curse of the law. We thank you that you have purchased our freedom from having to live according to the principles of the world and have given us the freedom to serve you in love and in faith. Father, please forgive us of the ways that we have been poor stewards of the manifold freedom and liberty that you give us. And Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts, that we might dedicate ourselves to using our liberty in Christ or the liberty of our station to serve each other in love. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom to make wise choices and that through our exercising these liberties in love, we might point all peoples in this world to you and the saving gospel of your son, Jesus. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.